You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Today's Dworkin Report features a key member of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Steve Cohen from Tennessee, who is chairman of its subcommittee on the Constitution and Civil Rights. Congressman Cohen shares some keen insights with us on this podcast, including the real reason behind the Trump shutdown. He also revealed the first quote-unquote impeachment-like hearings, which he plans in order to stop Donald Trump's foreign money graft from pouring into the president's greedy company. In less than 24 hours, the Democrats will take the House, and Nancy Pelosi will be sworn in as Speaker, the first woman to hold that title again. It's the moment that the resistance has been waiting for, since the cold realization on November 9th, 2016, that we would be in for a long, hard, knocked down, dragged out political dogfight against Donald Trump. But all of the action is going to unfold in the committees and subcommittees, and Representative Cohen has revealed their battle plan exclusively for you, our loyal listeners. Not everyone realizes that the ruby-red state of Tennessee has a Democratic U.S. representative who is a real progressive. But Representative Cohen filed the most comprehensive bill of impeachment against Trump in the GOP-controlled 115th Congress, which he called one of the worst bodies of all time. He also explains why there's a strong case in favor of impeaching Donald Trump today, whose choice to put Putin first and work with Russia during the 2016 election is one of the greatest crimes in the history of the United States. Take a listen to my interview with Congressman Steve Cohen. I'm here with Congressman Steve Cohen, who represents Tennessee's 9th District, including most of Memphis, as he's done since 2007, after previously serving his community as a state senator since 82. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. We spent plenty of time Googling you for this interview. Well, there's a lot of stuff out there on the old Google. <laughs> well, you, you, you've been on the, the forefront of the fight against the Republican Party's use of propaganda. That is the repeated use of intentional political lies for partisan advantage for years now. But at first, your stance caused some backlash. Uh, do you feel vindicated by your early stance against the GOP's relentless disinformation campaigns in light of the events of the last few years? Well, I do. I think I've been kind of on the forefront of all of this. I think I was the first person, and it might have been back in 20, oh, I don't know, 2011, might have been 2010, it's been a long time back, to call out the Tea Party for what they were. They came to Washington, and they demonstrated and protested and spat up on John Lewis or Emanuel Cleaver coming up to the Capitol and I went among them. I put on some shades and a, a baseball cap and was listening to my, some tunes on my uh, iPod and uh, walked among them and looked at them, and I could see they were the same type of people that had thrown rocks at the state capitol during an income tax uh, issue that had come up in Tennessee, um, provoked by Marsha Blackburn, who rallied them up there, and they caused chaos. And it was just the same anti-tax, anti-government uh, borderline racist people that I'd seen for years in Tennessee, and it was the same people up there at the United States Capitol that were the Tea Party folks. And and then I've been out there on the front lines on on Trump and and this Republican Congress, which has maybe been the worst, the 115th Congress ever, running interference for Trump, helping him and, and, and being complicit with him, 
in what I think is going to be shown to be uh, one of the great crimes of the history of mankind. Presidential candidate uh, involved with the, the Russians, I think that's going to be shown by Robert Mueller. You introduced, I think, five articles of impeachment against Trump, and the House Judiciary Republicans chose to obviously cover up his wrongdoing and kick it down, kick the can down a little bit. Um, I know that House leadership is keeping a tight lid on discussions of impeaching Trump, but in light of his Department of Justice calling him a felon this month, uh, what do you expect to see happen in the House Judiciary Committee uh, next year? Well, I think we're going to have a a great number of hearings on things like emoluments, which should come up in the subcommittee, which I will chair, uh, Constitution, Civil Liberties, and Civil Rights. Uh, We'll have hearings on emoluments. We'll have hearings on voting rights. We'll have hearings possibly on the pardon power. Uh, there are other areas where we'll have hearings, all of which will be done in, in consultation with our chairman to, to be uh, Jerry Nadler. Uh, but I've talked to him about voting rights and emoluments already. And, and I right. think there will be other hearings by the full committee and maybe by some of the, the other committees that might come up. Uh, and I think they'll, they'll be like impeachment hearings if they're not called impeachment hearings because they are the, the, the gravamen of, of an impeachment would be violations of emoluments and and uh, unjust use of pardons and attempts to obstruct justice, which may come up as well. And some of that would come up in the criminal law subcommittee, which Sheila Jackson-Lee will share. I think she'll have the opportunity to do hearings on things like obstruction of justice and and other areas where he's interfered apparently with Mueller's investigation. So we'll have those. Whether there will be an impeachment hearing soon, I don't know. Eventually there will be one, and I say there will be one because Trump – continues to exhibit and show the need to bring impeachment charges against him. And that's why I did it in November of 2017, uh, H Joint Res 621. Uh, he just keeps, he's, keeps doing. He doesn't know how to refrain because his life has been one crime after another, one misdeed after another, one lie after another. And he will continue to do this, and he'll continue, in my opinion, to, to interfere with due process, to try to thwart Mueller's investigation, because he can't stand anybody that's not a sycophant and a lackey. When did you first realize that Trump's lengthy relationship with Russia required an urgent response by Congress? It's hard to say when I first did. I guess we had suspicions early in his administration, and there were, you know, I don't think anybody realized it necessarily during the election, although, you know, I remember being shocked when he had in one of his speeches said, Russia, if you're listening, where are the, whatever it was, 30,000 emails? And there were some other things that came up uh, concerning the changes in the Republican Party's platform concerning giving Ukraine offensive weapons. And, and there were certain evidences that were, were out there. But it wasn't, I guess, until we started this Congress and he, this presidency began and you started to see so many connections. And I guess early on, it was, uh, and it might have been before they took office, where, when uh, Kushner was trying to get a back channel uh, to the White House from Russia. And you know what? What is going on here? And all the contacts with Kislyak, with Sessions, with 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 Flynn, you name it. Uh, it's so obvious that uh, they that they 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 were in cahoots. And then the more and more it goes on, and the more you learn, it's just it's so obvious. And you know, Mueller has been able to put, put together all the pieces. This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by resistors like you. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. 
and not, not many people may realize it, but you've been leading the charge to fix America's outdated marijuana prohibition laws for a long time, and recently industrial hemp was finally legalized by Congress. Can you explain to our listeners your plans to improve all Americans' access to, to medical marijuana? Well, I've been a proponent of decriminalizing marijuana since I was a senator in the early 80s. In fact, before that, when I was a police legal advisor for the city of Memphis in the 70s. And I work with the state representative on a um, citation in lieu of arrest law. And we made it clear. After I helped him draw it and lobbied for it. And he was a state rep and sponsored it. And then we made clear that the offenses it would be uh, used for be any misdemeanors, which would include possession of marijuana. And then we got that started in the Memphis Police Department, where unless you could so circumstances where it was necessary to make a physical arrest, a, a citation would be issued. Uh, and then uh, later in the state Senate, we've tried and continued to Congress to, to, to change. Nobody should lose their liberty, lose the opportunity to get a scholarship, lose the opportunity to get federal housing, uh, or not get a job because of marijuana possession. Uh, it's no different, I guess, than, uh, you know, drinking alcohol in a dry jurisdiction, which shouldn't be such either, but there are such. Or, uh, and, and it's just, too, too, the penalty was, was absurd. And medical marijuana has shown, and I've seen it for years. At first, I guess, I had a girlfriend die in 1980 of cancer, and, and marijuana helped her with the uh, um, chemotherapy that she was go, going through. And then I had a pal who was a former SEAL, who died of pancreatic cancer, and in 1990, see, it was the 96 campaign when he came up to me, so it must have been in 97 when he was dying in Maryland. Of course, it wasn't legal, but his mother, who was in her middle 80s, said, thank God for the marijuana. It's the only thing that allows oral to smile or eat. And he'd gone from 210, and the guy you wanted on your side, and if you had a problem uh, somewhere, to being 120 pounds. And wow. he, but when he smoked marijuana, he smiled, he laughed, and he ate. So, you know, it helps people with cancer, it helps people with chemo, and it helps people with uh, pain, it helps veterans with PTSD. I've heard it helps people with uh, 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 Parkinson's. So. Right, and some of my friends can't can't sleep at night without without it now after they got home from uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and other places in the military. Um, and so I'm I'm a big big supporter of it as well. Can't thank you enough for those those efforts. Um, when I first came to Congress, the, the star on the on the issue was Maurice Henschey, who's since passed and was a really great guy, a congressman from New York State. Then it's become, and I've always been there with him. But Earl Blumenauer is very active on the Democratic side, and 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 um, uh, Dana Rohrabacher on the Republican side. And I think Dana will continue to help lobby and, and promote from afar, even though he won't be in Congress, and I'll be working on all the bills we've had to allow the vets to get um, um, scripts or advice from the veteran doctors who are right now muzzled if they think marijuana will help them, uh, to decriminalize it at the federal level and let the states regulate it like alcohol, uh, to allow it to be operated like a business and to be able to use banks and not have to use cash, and everything you can do to make it into what it should be is a normal business in the United States. What what are your and this is a broad question, but what are your thoughts on the shutdown right now? It's absurd. There's no reason for the shutdown. This is all Donald Trump uh, having a uh, response to, to Rush Limbaugh and, and, and Laura, whatever her name is, Ingram, and and res trying to build up his base. I think it does show a recognition that he has uh, that he's in jeopardy of being impeached, and he's got to keep his base, which has strength with Republican senators, because they, 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 that base is probably. 
75, 80% of the Republican vote, and in some districts more, but that's sufficient to scare Republican senators into continuing to, to, to pay obeisance to him. And uh, he's got to have those people. I think it's, 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 the shutdown shows that he recognizes he, he will be impeached and he has to have those Republican senators to save him. Do you, and I, I know the answer, but I'm sure that there's more to it. Uh, do you think Trump should resign? I think he should resign. He has no ability to be president. He doesn't have the intellectual capacity. He doesn't have the experience. He doesn't have the knowledge of government, of American traditions, nor does he want to continue them. Um, Mattis's resignation letter should have lit a fire under every Republican's rear and, and, and opened up the eyes of the 35% who've been uh, drunk the Kool-Aid to the fact that this man is not even an American in terms of his foreign policy decisions. He is more a acolyte of Russia and the Saudis and, 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 and Erdogan than he is of America. And America first, America first doesn't just mean you get inside your borders. It could mean whatever he wants it to mean, just like he says he's a nationalist. He knows what that means. Um, to put America first, you've got to have us protect our interests and our citizens around the globe. And that involves maintaining our alliances with the NATO countries and defending the Baltic countries who are under threat from Russia and, and, and Ukraine who's under constant threat and the eastern provinces which have, the Russians have peeled off. We need to maintain those relationships and we need to be supportive of the Kurds who are our friends in Iraq. In Iraq in all those days it was the Kurds who could effectively fight and, and, and maintain their area and we're, we're honest. The Kurds have been our friends, and they're going to be slaughtered, and the blood's going to be on our hands, just as well as Khashoggi's blood is on the Saudi prince's hands and on Trump's for being a aider and a better. It's really tough times right now, and I figure um, if you could uh, maybe give give our listeners you know a parting message for the holiday season. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to you and, and other leaders in Congress being in charge now. Um, and, and so that's obviously something to look forward to. But any message for the listeners uh, of, of what's to come? Well, the only thing I say is it's going to be wonderful that the Democrats are in charge of the House and we can pass legislation and we can investigate Trump. And that's probably the biggest thing we can investigate because McConnell and the Republicans still have control of the Senate. They're not going to help us with passing – if we pass a minimum wage increase, which I feel we will, they won't, they won't pass it on the Senate side. If we pass improvements to the Affordable Care Act, I doubt they will pass them over there. There's going to be a difficulty in getting legislation passed till we have the Senate and or we have a president. So stay involved politically. Uh, be active for 2020. Uh, be active particularly with efforts to make those states that make up the Electoral College in Pennsylvania and, and, and Michigan and Wisconsin – are three of those big states, and Florida's another, uh, and we can win Georgia and we can win Texas. So we've got to have the presidency. We need to have the Senate. Things are going to be better, but we're still going to be in difficult times. And I think what you've seen in the stock market is the, the, the American investor uh, has, has finally come to grips with the fact that we've got an incompetent man in the White House. And, and I, it's a little bit like uh, um, McCall, McCalkin or whatever his name is, Macaulay Calkin, the Home Alone actor. Uh, right. Trump's a child alone, and he knows what he knows. Like I don't know if you ever saw uh, uh, Being There, uh, uh, Jersey Kaczynski's great book and, and, and movie with Peter Sellers, 
but it's a guy who lived in a back house in Georgetown and watched television, and he didn't know anything of the world except what he saw on television. And he came out and he said those lines, and people thought he was a genius, and he was the cause celeb in the, uh, in, in the D.C. Georgetown uh, uh, hierarchy or, or uh, society circles. And Trump's a lot like him. He knows what he sees on television. He doesn't know anything about the repercussions of his actions or effects of his actions our history of policy, he knows nothing. So we are in dangerous territory. The stock market shows it. Mattis told us it's there. We have to stay resolute. We have to elect Democrats. We have to get the Senate back. We need a president. Congressman Cohen, I, I can't thank you enough for opening the door, um, being the first to I saw to call for impeachment, um, to push really, truly for resignation, to push for uh, a lot of different things that, that people didn't have the guts to do. Uh, and so I thank you for your courage and uh, your patriotism and everything you've done for this country. I, I wish you and your family the best for your holidays. And thank you again so much for uh, giving this uh, present to uh, my folks for the holiday season, because this is going to be a wonderful listen. You're welcome, and happy holidays. I want to thank Congressman Steve Cohen for coming on the show. You can follow him at Rep Cohen on Twitter. I want to thank my uh, producer, Grant Stern. You can follow him at Grant Stern on Twitter. You can visit our website at dworkingreport.com. Thanks again for listening. Tomorrow's the day, folks. Tomorrow's the day. Onward!